This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 122, Comic Talk, Omnibus Edition. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 122. It's our Comic Talk Omnibus Edition episode. It's a solo episode, so it's just myself, Adam Chapman, your host, uh, doing this particular episode. Um, so, to kind of give you some background on this episode, I had discussed with a friend of the show and one-time guest, AJ Reese, uh, recently on, you know, kind of ideas for upcoming shows when I don't have a special guest to join me, uh, and that ended up being this week. Uh, now, this is going up, uh, again, a little bit later than normal. Uh, usually, I like to get the uh, even-numbered episodes uh, posted on Wednesdays or Thursdays. Uh, this week was a little bit uh, more hectic than most. And then uh, on Friday, uh, the 29th of November, I actually celebrated my 30th birthday, so now I'm old. Um, anyways, uh, so I didn't really get a chance to sit down and record a podcast, so I'm finally sitting down, and I'm going to look at one of my favorite subjects, as people who have read the, sorry, listened to previous episodes might understand, is that I, I'm a big fan of the uh, the Marvel omnibus format, although recently DC started doing some omnibus as well. Uh, it's one of my favorite formats uh, that that has been published recently. I mean, there's a lot of different collected edition formats for those who aren't as into that kind of spectrum. Uh, over the last few years, I found that I got more and more excited by collected editions as opposed to just new comics. Uh, it used to be maybe five, six years ago, I would, I would with bated breath look forward to new solicitations of comics, but then I realized that as much as I was still excited about the comics that were coming out, I found myself almost more interested in the selections of old reprinted material that were coming out. Um, uh, for example, like you know, uh, there was like War Machine trade paperback coming out. There was War Machine Classic. There was a Iron Man War Machine trade paperback covering the original appearances of Jim Rhodes in the War Machine armor. Um, all this kind of stuff. We've had Captain America trades. Like there's these gigantic Captain America trades. One is called the, the Captain. And it has the entire storyline of when uh, John Walker became Captain America and, and Steve Rogers went by the name of the Captain. So I'm a big fan of the of, of these collections. Anyways, and I started having this kind of really a real appreciation for older material. And generally speaking, for, for newer comics, there is uh, usually there used to be uh, Marvel premieres, which were basically a hardcover edition of recent comics, which still come out for most books, but not all books. Um... It's more for like the top tier, basically the books that they're pretty sure they can get extra, you know, bunch of dollars out of you. Uh, they will try to do so. Usually, it's for the marquee titles. Uh, All New X Men, for example, has hardcovers. So do the Thor, uh, I believe Iron Man, Captain America, Avengers, like the the larger um, kind of products. What's interesting is that Spider Man goes right to trade and then goes back for uh, OHCs which is uh, oversized hardcovers of, like, the, like uh, 12 issues, for example. They've done this recently with Hawkeye as well. So you have, tra- so you have these, uh, these Marvel premieres. Uh, then you also have uh, the regular trade paperbacks of recent material. That's usually covering off newer material. Then you also have, as I said, the, the oversized hardcovers. Uh, they don't do these as often. Uh, and they're for, usually for specific um, events or stories or specific comics. Like Superior Spider-Man, I believe, recently came out with uh, like a, an oversized hardcover. And I know the Hawkeye did. Um, so that's kind of the newer stuff. And with the older stuff, it used to be kind of flimsy trade paperbacks of weird different periods. And now they started to become more and more concise and comprehensive in the way that they do things. Um, it used to be that there was a great line called the Marvel Premier Classics. 
uh, hardcover line, which I actually quite enjoyed. And it was, for the most part, and near the end of the run, it started to have some questionable choices. But for the most part, especially at the beginning, it was picking these seminal storylines, these important storylines for specific characters uh, or specific runs. Uh, but they weren't ever that long, but uh, they would have certain specific storylines that would be important to certain characters in the Marvel Pantheon. Um, for example, some of the original ones I believe they did were like Spider-Man Death of the Stacys, uh, Wolverine Origin, uh, Wolverine, the original uh, miniseries by Claremont and, and uh, Miller. Uh, there was a lot of this kind of stuff going on. Um, and this was a really great line, which unfortunately was discontinued, I believe, either earlier this year or maybe late last year. Uh, and it's really unfortunate because it was actually quite a, a great line to follow. Anyway, so there's, as I said, there's all these different lines. Now, actually, there's something that I'm super excited about going forward. And again, I spend a lot of time on MarvelMasterworks.com, which is all about people who love collections and especially love Masterworks, which is something I've never really gotten into. Um, but I appreciate the idea behind it. Uh, but there's also something now called the Epic Collection. And the Epic Collection is a new format that they've just introduced over the last four months. And it's been heavily hyped in a certain circle, obviously. If you haven't heard of it, it's because you're not in that circle, but maybe you could be. Uh, and the idea is, and I don't know what the breakoff point is, but they, they want to bring entire runs of characters eventually into trade paperback format. And instead of starting at the beginning, they're starting in weird spots. Like, for example, Amazing Spider-Man is starting with volume 20. So you know there's going to be 19 volumes that eventually they're going to publish that goes before. And I believe there's four or five product lines to begin with. Uh, there's event... Actually, there might even be more than that. There's Captain America, Iron Man, uh, Fantastic Four, Avengers, and Spider-Man. I believe that's it. So I think there's five. Um, anyways, and the idea is that they will publish these, not in any specific order, uh, but the, the idea being that they're releasing one every, I think, four months or maybe five months uh, for a specific line. So if I'm following Spider-Man, I believe I'll get one to two volumes, maybe two to three tops a year. Uh, they're really large collections, they at least 20 issues, if not a little bit more. They're usually running around, uh, now unfortunately I'm, I'm quoting Amazon-ish prices, but around 30 bucks or a little bit low, lower than that. So it's actually really good value for these these issues. Anyways, and this is the idea that eventually if you pick up the, these volumes, you will have complete runs of a specific character. Now it's not clear where the, where the cutoff is yet. Um, you know, for example, there's Amazing Spider-Man Volume 20 is the, the Cosmic Adventures, and it really only brings you up to Amazing Spider-Man maybe 334, I think, um, which obviously still leaves a lot of room. Um, so it does bring up ideas on, you know, how they're going to map it and how far forward are they going to go, because obviously there becomes an era in comics where crossovers become quite heavy and it might be difficult to read it something and understand it without getting the rest of the components. Even the upcoming uh, Spider-Man, the Cosmic Adventures uh, trade paperback includes selected issues of, uh, I believe, Web of Spider-Man and Peter Parker Spider-Man. So it's an interesting format for sure. Anyways, today's episode, though, is about one of my favorite formats, which is the Omnibus. Now, the first time I remember ever really hearing about the Omnibus was I was looking at Amazon, and I was doing kind of looking at orders for the future, and I spied something that really, I was like, no way. Uh, and that was none other than uh, Secret Wars 2 Complete Omnibus. Now, I'm, I have this actually with me as I'm talking. Uh, this is what was kind of my entry gate into the Omnibus world. Um, I, there had 
they had originally instituted this omnibus line in 2005 and i remember kind of seeing it at cons and stuff they had a uh, you know fantastic four had volume one come out had issues one to 30 of the original stan and jack run uh i believe like new x-men had come out um i don't really remember seeing a lot about this again the original ff volume came out in 2005 uh, then you had Alias came out, and I found out about these later on, but I hadn't really heard a lot about them until I hear, heard about Secret Wars 2. Now, Secret Wars 2 is a fair bit in, into the line. A lot of other books had already come out. Um, you know, you'd had, the, as I said, the FF Volume 1. You'd had Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, uh, Invincible Iron Man Volume 1, Incredible Hulk. Like, all these things had started to come out. And then here we have Secret Wars Volume 2. Now, this came out, I'm just looking right now at the dating. It came out in May 2009, and I remember pre-ordering this. I was so excited, and part of the reason why is that I believe it was like maybe 60 to $70. Probably about 70 Canadian, I think, I paid for it. Um, and it had the entire Secret Wars 2 storyline. Now, I knew, because I'm not... Un, um, I'm not unfamiliar with Secret Wars, that Secret Wars 1 is you know fondly remembered alone it doesn't have the greatest story uh not the greatest genesis for coming into into creation but uh it, it was an interesting foray into the the world of the crossover from marvel comics secret wars 2 is taking everything that secret wars once started and, and making it a lot worse uh in terms of you go instead of having all the heroes go to the beyonder you have the beyonder come to earth uh and then you have Everyone in the Marvel Universe basically getting involved in this massive storyline with the Beyonder. Some story, some of the times were fantastic, and some of them were um, just dreadful. Um, and so that's kind of what the Secret Wars was. Now, the actual storyline itself, uh, if you include the Secret Wars 2 miniseries, as well as all the tie-ins, uh, it comprises about... Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I'm just counting out right now based on the back. One thing I like about Omnibus is, is that on the back, at least not not maybe not anymore, but it used to be that on the back of every Omnibus, uh, they would have uh, a nice big uh, graphic of every single cover of every book that was included in that specific volume. So in this specific volume, there are 45 comics in this gigantic hardcover. I had never heard of something this big at the time. This was... Uh, 1,184 pages of pure comic. So it's 70 bucks for that many issues, even though a lot of them may not necessarily be good. I was like, how can I go wrong? And I remember when this thing finally arrived, it was freaking heavy. I remember carting it to my, uh, well, uh, now she's obviously my wife, but uh, my girlfriend at the time, Kelly, and I would bring it over, and she'd just be like, what the hell is that? And it's just absolutely gigantic tome, uh, it's difficult to read, obviously, because it's so big. Um, when, I, when I'm when i reading it in bed, I pretty much have to put it on the bed because I can't put it on my legs for too long because it's just that heavy. Uh, it is one hell of a volume, and you won't see many like it. <laughs> um, and, and this is kind of what started me in, in loving the omnibus format. Uh, just with the idea that there's this storyline from, you know, before I was really buying comics. And yes, maybe a lot of it hasn't aged well and isn't necessarily a good read. But there are some good reads in here. And the, the ability to get an entire storyline, an entire crossover in one gigantic uh, collection without having to buy all the, you know, single issues was really attractive and appealing to me. And uh, I remember reading it. And yeah, there's a lot of duds here. But also what I like about this type of thing is that it gives you a snap. Like one thing I love about comics, less so in current comics, but the idea of 
of continuity and seeing how things build on each other. Well, you would see, going back, it would be interesting to see a snapshot of what continuity was like at that point in time. I mean, even now, if you go back like five or six years, I mean, it's almost jarring because of how um, how drastic the continuity shifts are every few years. I mean, you go back to, what was it, like 2008 or nine? you have Dark Rain happening. Like, that's a pretty big shift to what happens after Siege. And then, you know, especially after AVX, I mean, things really change for the Avengers. I mean, if you go back to 2004 when Avengers Disassembled happened, completely different feeling. And it's really interesting to, to kind of go back and read those books. At times, it's, as I said, a little difficult and jarring because it's such a huge change and difference from what you're used to reading now. But at the same time, it's fascinating to me because to see what it, what the Marvel Universe used to be like. And that's part of what I really liked about going back and reading Secret Wars 2. Yes, there's a lot of garbage. Yes, you get to see, you know, um, uh, Monica Rambeau as Captain Marvel uh, fighting with the Avengers with, what, Black Knight, uh, Hercules, Captain America, Star Fox, and, and uh, the Wasp. And this isn't necessarily the greatest teams you've ever seen, but... Uh, it's just really interesting to see these these different you know teams of characters and even creators, um, which is from really is from a different era. And so I I really dug this uh, collection. Again, it's not for everyone. I mean, there are some people who can't go back and read things that are more than ten, fifteen, twenty years old. Uh, the the prose starts to get to them because I mean it used to be very wordy these comics. Uh, it was less about showing and more about telling. Um, they weren't necessarily trusting their artistic medium as much as they could in future years. Um, but yeah, so that is something I would say, you know, this this was the beginning of my love of the format, for sure. Uh, Secret Wars 2 is my entry drug into the world of the Omnibus. And from then on, I mean, I, I started to notice things, these things being announced. Uh, there was a lot I missed out on, but I mean, after... The Secret Wars 2 came out. I think it wasn't maybe a few months later I decided I was going to get the Daredevil by Brian Michael Bendis on this. Uh, there was two volumes. And uh, I had all the all the originals. But at that point I was like, it was my favorite one on Daredevil. Uh, I wanted it to be in some sort of collected format. And I didn't want to go get the trades because there were so many trades and at the time. And it was just like, it would be too unwieldy. But then you could get these two volumes. And at the time I think I had like some... Uh, I got a gift or something or extra money on Amazon, and I was like, I'm going to use this. And then this is something that to this day bothers me, is that Amazon decided it ships in two to four months, volume one. And I pre-ordered volume two. I'm like, okay, great. They'll come, you know, roughly together. And then I just keep waiting for volume one, and then they say, yeah, we've canceled the order. We're not going to be able to get a copy. Sorry. And I was just like, but now I have volume two. And to this day, I do not have volume one of The Daredevil by Brian Michael Bendis on of us. And this will always frustrate me, because... First of all, it's a fantastic run. I would love to have it in hardcover. But it's just bothersome that I have part two in hardcover, but not part one. Now, a few years later, they did release an ultimate collection of the Daredevil by Brian Michael Bendis run in three very large trade paperbacks, which, if you price them all out, about $25 each originally, you're spending about as much for the three volumes as you would have for one volume of the Omnibus. Now, I still would have preferred the Omnibus format because it's it's larger, uh, it's uh, you know a bigger format, it's oversized, it's not a standard comic book page, so it's a little bit bigger. The artwork gets to be reproduced, and, uh, you know, looks a lot better when it's reproduced. 
uh, it'll always, always kind of grind my gears. And not only is it really hard to find because it, was, it went out of print, uh, but there, I guess there was also some problems with the printing. So there are, I think, a first and second printing that are very, very hard to find. I think online they're usually going for about 2 to $300, if not more. Uh, which I just can't justify to spend on something of which I actually already have in trade paperback format um, now, and I also have in single format. I mean, I actually there are some issues of the latter part of Ryan Michael Bendis's run that I've actually triple dipped on, which is something I don't think I've ever really done before um, or since. So, um, and actually speaking of um, the uh, Brubaker run that comes after Bendis, that I also have the two on the bus. Which, again, if I could go back in time, I would have just waited for the Ultimate Collections. Because now it just, it looks weird. Because I'm just missing that first volume. And I have everything from, I have three three omnibuses of Daredevil uh, in the modern period. And I'm just missing that one I need. Uh, which really bugs me. But this is, again, right around the time when I still I first started to become aware of omnibuses. Um, just looking at a publication list. And there are some I missed out on. I missed out on the Immortal Iron Fist. They had all of... Uh, Brian Mike, sorry, not Brian Michael Bendis, Matt Fraction and Br- Brubaker's run in the omnibus format. It's like the first 16 issues of that series. Uh, years later, actually, my brother-in-law, Paul, also a frequent guest of the show, he actually kind of came over and said, I know you only have volume one of the trade of Iron Fist. Here's volumes two, three, and four. Give me a pittance and we'll call it even. And so now I actually don't need them because I do have it in trade paperback format. But at the time, that was, again, as always a stumbling block for me was, well, I own it in another format. Do I need to upgrade to an omnibus? And when you do already own something, it's really tough to kind of be like, well, let's drop another $70, $80. I mean, they are gorgeous, beautiful volumes, but sometimes, you know, the, the money part does have to kind of kick in and be like, do I need this again? Um... Now I think I'm at a point in my life where I'm trying to downshift my comic books and go a little bit more into trade. So the idea of selling off singles to get the trade is more attractive than perhaps it was when these lines first started. Uh, At the time, I was more like, well, why would I buy something I already have in single? Now I'm like, of course I want to do that. I want to get rid of the singles and replace it with the trade. It's interesting how your... um, your kind of your personal collecting habits will change over time. Uh, whatever the circumstances of your life might be, things can change and they will change. And for me, it's been a shift towards the collections more so. Uh, and I do apologize. This might be a little dry, uh, just kind of going through some of the omnibuses, but I'm getting to, to some good stuff. Trust me. Um, and then I, I can't remember the exact timing, but. I was at a, a used bookstore in Toronto uh, called BMV, which people who are from Toronto will know very well. Uh, it's an excellent used bookstore for when it comes to comic books and trade paperbacks, hardcovers, omnibuses, whatever it might be. They have some really good uh, and competitive prices often uh, at par with Amazon, if not a little bit lower. Um, they don't charge uh, 13% sales tax. They only charge 5%, uh, which is the antiquated GST uh, for those who are in, who are Canadians who will understand what the hell I'm talking about. Um, and I remember I was there one time with my wife, and I was like, man, that is an omnibus of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1. I want that. And if I could go back in time, I'd, I I still would have wanted it, but I my copy is a slight yellow tinge, on, and I think it might have been slightly sun-damaged. Uh, it's just on the, the spine of the dust jacket. Um it's not a big deal, but it slightly stands out from the rest of my omnibuses, and it always grinds me a little. Plus, I think it, uh, the way that it had been on display, it kind of breathed a little, so it, it 
felt like it maybe expanded more than it needs. So it actually looks like one of the thickest volumes on my shelf, although it actually is not the thickest volume on my shelf. Because, uh, I mean, Secret Wars 2 already is, is bigger than that. Cause it's only 1,088 pages. And I like how I said, it's only, as if somehow it's such a such a puny volume. It's only 1,088 pages. Um, now, one thing I really love about the older material that does get reprinted in omnibus format, and this is what I discovered with Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, is uh, Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, giant volume. Um, what I like about it especially is that it collects the absolute entirety of the original uh, Stanley and Steve, Steve Ditko run on Amazing Spider-Man, which is uh, pretty awesome to say the least. Uh, so it's the first, I believe, uh, 39 issues of Amazing Spider-Man. And it's it's one hell of a run. Uh, it's really worth owning. Um, you can own, obviously, trade paperbacks. I probably will end up owning it all again at some point. Because now with the Epic Collections, I want to be able to, at one point, <laughs> to my son go, Hey, you like Spider-Man? I've got 20 volumes. And that's only getting up to the mid-90s. Uh, 20 years before you were born. But if you want to, you know, read some comics, read, read Spider-Man. And so, I mean, I'll probably end up having this in both the omnibus format and the epic format. But really, there's there's no way around. you got to be able to experience the original Amazing Spider-Man work. And uh, one thing that I like about the omnibus is of classic material, and I would say pre-70s material, um, is that it includes the letters pages. And that is, honest to God, one of my favorite parts of some of these omnibuses. Because it's like, it's like this interesting time capsule of someone's kind of opinions and ideas about comics uh often obviously kids or people, younger readers at the time and uh it's really really interesting to see what people's reactions were and i've said this on a prior podcast but i uh, in the uncanny x-men volume one um omnibus which collects the you know the first what issue giant size x-men number one and x-men 94 to uh x-men 131 i believe um, it has readers talking about how they don't like Claremont's writing and, oh, how dare you get rid of the, my X-Men. Um, you know, these, these new guys, they aren't X-Men. Who are these people? And it's just really fascinating because, you know, there's the internet now is so immediate and people, people's outrage is so quick and, and vehement. And we forget that, you know, people used to write this shit down and complain and it's just really interesting to, to kind of see it's basically the proto-internet you know the exact same thing you would see in a message board now but people were writing it and telling marvel all about it and i personally love that i think it's really fun and interesting uh to read that kind of stuff so i like the classic omnibuses because they actually give you that kind of glimpse into what people were thinking at the time which uh i i, I personally find interesting other people might find that extremely boring uh, just, and just to go back, so before I kind of really jumped in on the gravy train of, of omnibuses, there were a bunch that I missed out on, and I did keep thinking about. There was the Captain America by Ed Brubaker, Volume 1, which was the first 25 issues of Brubaker's Run and Cap, which I had in trade paperback, and that was the reason why I didn't get the omnibus. And that one, I think I kind of stand firm on, um, and part of the reason for that is I've always kind of said that hardcover is a in general is a format i don't want for ongoing series now obviously i've broken that rule um in a certain different ways i mean i i consider the old amazing spider-man stuff very much like i'm reading complete runs for the most part 
or a large chunk of it and it doesn't it's not a, a current ongoing series whereas a, like an ongoing series with current numbering I don't really want to be getting that in hardcover that's always the way I felt uh, so it was Captain America at the time I was like well first of all unless I'm going to get all of his run only in omnibus format and who knows if they're going to do that I don't want to have to switch formats once this omnibus is complete and this is definitely something that's come up for me with Invincible Iron Man by uh, Matt Fraction uh, which I believe started in 2008 and my because there I got all the singles and then I broke down and I finally got the oversized hardcover collection uh, which was issues I believe 1 to 19 and the second one is I think issues 20 to 30 something Anyways, and I really like these big kind of budget collections. They weren't very expensive. I think it was that they were each like 20 or something each or $24 each. And you got a lot of issues, and it was a nice big hardcover. And uh, they have two books in that collection. And there are so many issues that have not been collected yet in these larger hardcover formats. And I don't know if they're ever going to fill them out. And I don't want to buy trade paperbacks or hardcovers to fill out the run because it'll be a switch in format and that really bugs me and it's not something I like to do uh, and again it's because it, it's you know it, it was a continuing series at the time the series had not ended and we weren't really sure how they were going to end up collecting it when it was all done and now I'm just kind of left holding the bag with these two hardcovers which are nice but what comes after that and I have all these singles that I'd rather not have because I don't need the, the first you know 36 issues but I don't really want to have issues 37 onwards that just is a weird kind of collection to have of just like, oh, well, I already got rid of these ones, but I still have these. So, again, these are very much comic collector problems, and I'm sure there are those out there who have these kind of problems, or, or at least think about these kinds of things, and hopefully I'm not the only one. Uh, and I'm just kind of looking at the, the list of things that were coming around out around this time. Uh, so... Uh, I always wondered about getting the Ultimates by Mark Millar, and again, back at when it was released, which is in 2009, I already owned the singles of Ultimates 1 and Ultimates 2, so I didn't want to have to get it again in hardcover, even though it would have been nice to have it all in one big book, I was like, I don't know, and later on, eventually, I would end up getting the Ultimate collections of those particular volumes, so I have two big hardcovers collected, sorry, two big softcover collections covering Ultimates 1 and Ultimates 2 respectively um so sometimes i think about it but i mean that one i for modern artwork too i'm always a little bit concerned about the bleed uh in terms of for the big splash pages especially the ones that were going to be in ultimates by brian hitch i was a little curious how the format because of the book being so big and with the binding if it would even handle the uh the bleed or the gutter that well and uh, I, I obviously never really got to experience that because most of my omnibuses have been older material for the most part or just not stuff that was uh, utilizing a lot of big splash pages like you would see on Ultimates. Uh, then, and again, 2009 also saw the release of Astonishing X-Men Volume 1, which has the what the first 24 issues of Astonishing X-Men, which is the entire Whedon run, including the Giants as Astonishing X-Men number one. Again, I eventually ended up getting that in these Ultimate collections, with these two big collections, um, having the entire run of Astonishing X-Men. So, I mean, I ended up getting it eventually in a different format. Um, and it kind of came down to the fact that when it, when it was released in Omnibus, I was not yet at the point where I was willing to get rid of my singles or replace my singles or even supplement my singles with another format 
Um, it's interesting. I, if I could go back, I probably would get Ultimates and Sonic X Men for sure because. I ended up getting them anyway in a different format to have the singles, uh, sorry, not singles, to get the soft covers. So uh, if I could go back in time and change things, I think I probably would. Um, I'm just flashing back to 2009, trying to see where I really started doing the omnibus format uh, as kind of a, a definite thing I was looking for. And it looks like that would have been around 2010. Uh, so, you know, a year has passed. I bought, you know, two maybe, well, at this point I, I would have bought the two Brubaker on the buses, uh, the Bendis on the bus, that's three, plus Secret Wars, two, plus Amazing Spider-Man. So I probably have five on the buses at this point in time. I've liked it. I've jumped in here and there, but it hasn't really become something I'm hugely an avid fan of. And then along comes Thor by J. Michael Straczynski, his entire run in one big heart uh, on the bus. And I really like this idea gotta have this it's not even a very expensive volume i think it was like 40 bucks and it had the entire run of jms and, and olivier quipel and his other uh, collaborators and it is just a gorgeous volume um as with most most omnibuses up until maybe the last six or seven months uh the omnibuses used to have a, a nice kind of feeling to them um it was kind of a, a softer hardcover uh you had um kind of a, a silver embossed or emblazoned uh, logo on the cover. You had a nice uh, big, well some of them have like a silver band on the spine or, or a nice erased silver ink kind of saying Marvel Omnibus. Uh, it's a very classy presentation underneath the, the dust jacket. Um, and getting Thor by J. Michael Straczynski was a huge thing for me because I was just, I had loved Thor when it was written by uh, Michael Ivan A. Oming and he had done such a great great job as part of Avengers Disassembled when he ended Thor and, with Ragnarok and uh, I was very skeptical on how they could bring Thor back and they did wait a few years and then Straczynski brought him back and then getting an omnibus of that run was a, very exciting and I could not wait and I was a huge fan of that volume so that was that was me kind of getting back in on it it had been a little while since I had a volume and then from there it got pretty I think three months later is when I really started going crazy because they announced something that I was super excited about it. And this is like, again, I was excited for the Straczynski stuff, but I had just bought it in singles. But I was like, well, this is really cool. Maybe I should embrace this. Along comes Acts of Vengeance. Now, obviously, a big incentive on the first omnibus purchase I ever bought was Seeker Wars 2. And it was about having a complete event. And uh, the other things I'd had since then were about having runs or, you know, or seminal stories or whatever it might be. Acts of Vengeance was a return to the original reason why I picked up the format in the first place. And Acts of Vengeance, for those not in the loop, uh, was a, a crossover storyline where the, the villains of the Marvel Universe, basically a bunch of them were manipulated to get together by Loki. And then they kind of teamed up to go up against... Um, all the heroes in the Marvel Universe. And the idea was they would switch. Um, if you're used to going up against Iron Man, maybe you'll fare better against uh, Captain America, etc. So all these people were basically castling, uh, switching villains with other villains. And we saw a lot of weird combinations happen as a result of the storyline. But I remember picking up a couple issues when I was younger, um, usually in like dollar bins or whatever, or seeing them on the shelves. And I was so pumped. I'm like, Acts of Vengeance? I can own it all? I am in. 
and and I was so I definitely I remember pre-ordering uh, Axe Avengers and waiting with bated breath until it arrived at my doorstep. And so February 9th, 2011, I got I finally received my Axe of Vengeance omnibus, and this is uh, it's not the largest omnibus by far. It's only 744 pages, but it's probably one of the most fun volumes because. It's relatively close to when I started reading comics for the first time, and um, relatively close, because I started, I think, in like 91 or so, in terms of finally reading a few comics. Um, these comics were published mainly in December 1989 and January 1990. Um, it is a crazy smorgasbord of comics. You've got Avengers 311 to 313, an annual number 19. Avengers Spotlight 26 to 29. Avengers West Coast 53 to 55. Captain America 365 to 367. Iron Man 251 to 252. Quasar 5 to 7. Thor 411 to 413. Cloak and Dagger 9. Amazing Spider Man 326 to 329. Spectacular Spider Man 158 to 160. And Web of Spider Man 59 to 61. So that is um, a weird collation of. Uh, characters, to say the least. Uh, the Spider-Man stuff is probably the most well-known because he starts getting the Captain Universe powers and starts getting all cosmically enhanced, and then he punches the uh, the Hulk into the moon, or not into the moon, but into space, and then goes and gets him. Um, it's some pretty, you know, memorable stuff. Again, it's not it's not always the best stories, but it's definitely stuff that has become remembered uh, and is is memorable. Um, and I, it has a very special place for me in my heart. Uh, there's some very memorable, uh, interactions like Red Skull and Magneto coming face to face and Magneto obviously really taking not so much a liking to Red Skull because he obviously he is a Nazi. Um, it was, it was just, a, it was a chance for characters to come up against other characters that they never would have been up against under regular circumstances. And that's pretty exciting. Like... Uh, even even seeing Mandarin going up against the Avengers is not something you usually saw, or the Wizard going up against the Avengers with uh, Mandarin as well. Um, these were not regular occurrences; these they were specific villains. So seeing them team up was exciting, to say the least. Um, just kind of going through it and seeing some of the weird combinations you saw. You had Sebastian Shaw being involved in a Spider-Man book. You had Goliath at the time, uh, the the evil Goliath. Uh, going up against uh, Spider-Man as well in his own book, um, you know these these were matchups that were not normal. Uh, let's see who Spider-Man going up against like um, Doctor Doom. Doctor Doom actually shows up in a lot of places. Uh, Spider-Man versus Dragon Man. Um, yeah, this is this is some fun comics. It really brings you back to a certain era of comics for sure. And then it wasn't that much long afterwards. I believe, let me just double check, uh, I believe about four months later, four or five months later, they released the Axe of Vengeance crossovers on the bus. So Axe of Vengeance was actually not collecting every single tie-in. It was just the quote-unquote more mainstream tie-ins or like the more, the tie-ins that seemed a little bit more central to the overall plot that was moving forward throughout the storyline as opposed to some of the other tie-ins that had less maybe to do with the main storyline. And to be honest, some of the collect some of the books in this collection are more fun than the regular ones because they're a little bit more off the wall. And they include books like FF, Wolverine, Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, uh, Incredible Hulk, 
Punisher, Punisher War Journal, Moon Knight, Daredevil, Alpha Flight, Power Pack, New Mutants, Uncanny X-Men, X-Factor, Damage Control, and Web of Spider-Man. So you can see just by that makeup uh, that it, it goes to a lot kind of weirder places just because by virtue of the characters that are involved. Um, I'm just taking a look right now and flipping through this volume just to kind of see some of the weird uh, pairings that happened. In Wolverine, you had Tiger Shark and Wolverine, which is not what anyone would really usually expect um, from a, a fight that happened. Uh, and what's interesting about that book as well is that at the time, John Byrne was actually doing the layouts in Wolverine, which is not something I actually remember ever seeing. So we got Tiger Shark and Wolverine. Again, that's a really odd team-up right there. Or not team-up, but fight. You had in Doctor Strange, Hobgoblin show up, which, again, doesn't make any sense. It's when Hobgoblin became a little bit more demonic. And this and this is what I find the most enjoyable aspect of going back and reading older comics that I'd never really read before, is that, like, in Doctor Strange, there were characters that I'd never heard of before. Um, and I didn't even remember Doctor Strange having a book at that point in time uh, that was up to, I believe, like... At the time, it was like the first year of its book, but the fact that they were obviously trying to make a concerted effort to make Doctor Strange work as a viable character for an ongoing series. That's kind of exciting and thrilling. And to read that, it's maybe not the best issue, but it's interesting. Um, you know, it, it's not something that you're expecting. Um, and again, having the Hobgoblin become demonically involved is weird. Having the Grey Gargoyle fight the, uh, the Hulk as well, strange. Um, you know, this, this these these are good comics, but some of my favorites are actually the Punisher comics because they're so ludicrous. There's Punisher versus freaking Doctor Doom. Like this shouldn't even be happening. It's the idea of Doctor Doom being like making fun of um, of Kingpin because he can't even take care of the of the Punisher. And Fisk is basically like, oh yeah, well go ahead, do your best. I, I bet you you can't take out the Punisher. And the Punisher actually does pretty well, and uh, he definitely survives, which is kind of hilarious. Uh, and I like the idea that there's this kind of weird rivalry between the two. Um, another nice thing, you have Bushwhacker going up against Punisher in the Punisher War Journal crossover uh, issues. Now, what's especially exciting about this, though, is that you can see some really early Jim Lee work in the Punisher War Journal. Because I remember when I flipped, first flipped through it, I'm like, man, this guy really looks like he's trying to do a Jim Lee impersonation. It's not quite the Jim Lee we know, but he's getting there. And then I realized, oh no, it is. It, it definitely is Jim Lee. Uh, and it's noticeable. It's very early uh, Jim Lee, but it's great Jim Lee. Anyway, so that, that was, again, this is kind of what really made me go back into the format. Having had a few volumes, enjoyed it, uh, but there had been a bunch I just kind of watched fly past me but then the idea to have an entire storyline and one big on of us again has always been the deciding factor for me in picking up that that volume um and around this time i believe i also picked up uh atlantis attacks which is the storyline i think i only ever remember from trading cards uh talking about this storyline and it's not good it's actually pretty bad it was a, a storyline that took place completely in the annuals in a specific year i can't remember what year right now and uh, it's not the greatest storyline, but it is kind of a, you know, there's, there's stuff going on with Atlantis, um, the serpent, um, what's it called, uh, the, the crown, the serpent crown is involved as well, so that, that kit was coming out. And then another another volume, that I think it was like a, maybe a month after 
the Acts of Vengeance crossover, or actually, sorry, a month after the original Acts of Vengeance omnibus, there came uh, a book that I had been thinking about buying for years. And this had been, and I remember following the Visionaries line. There used to be a Visionaries line of comics, uh, which they don't do as much anymore. Um, and then there was these Hulk Visionaries by John Byrne and Thor Visionaries by Walter Simonson. And I knew of Walter Simonson because growing up, I, I was reading about you know this legendary Thor run and that Walter Simonson had really redefined what it meant to write a good Thor comic. And he had added his mythology to the to Thor, uh, which was kind of never before seen. So I was really excited about kind of seeing what that was like. And then I was always thinking about picking up these volumes, but it always seemed really expensive because there was like, I think, five volumes to get the complete uh, Walter Simonson run. And it just wasn't quite cost effective and it was hard... Usually I could find four of the volumes, but not all five. And then I saw announced as, a, as an omnibus uh, the complete Thor by Walter Simonson, which includes Thor 337 to 355, 357 to 369, 371 to 382, and Ball to the Brave 1 to 4. It's 1,192 pages. It is one hell of a book. Um, and again, that was more of transitioning from having a complete storyline uh, like crossover event to having a complete run by a, a complete seminal run by an extremely important character creator, um, and that being Walter Simonson. And around this time, again, I was torn about getting uh, X Men by Jim uh, Jim Lee and Chris Claremont, uh, Alan Volume One and Two, and it just ended up being something I wasn't really into. And because partially because I realized the uh, the first volume, and this is ludicrous, uh, the actual amount of issues that were illustrated by Jim Lee were actually pretty tiny. They're mostly Mark Silvestri, so why are you going to drop like eighty eight dollars? And that was the thing too; they kind of raised the price at this point in time. Uh, a lot of them on Amazon were going for about seventy. Suddenly, they started going for about eighty eight because the the list price was higher now. Um, and so I, I remember thinking long and hard and wanting to get these these issues and ultimately deciding not to. And a few months ago, I kind of was revisiting it and really thinking, like, am I going to buy these? But part of what stopped me from buying it was that uh, I didn't want to buy just one. If I buy X-Men by, you know, Chris Claremont and Jim Lee, I'm going to buy volumes one and two. I'm not just going to stick to volume one. Um, so as a result, it's kind of stopped me from buying it at all because I don't want to be... Throw, I, I, who who isn't really in a position to, you know, put down one hundred and forty to one hundred and sixty dollars on two giant hardcovers? I mean, you're getting a lot of value there, but at the same time, um, you know, it's not necessarily the greatest run of X Men comics by Chris Claremont. I mean, he did a lot better material earlier on in his run, so I ended up kind of, kind of saying no to it. Um, then also in two thousand eleven. Uh, you had Amazing Spider-Man, David Michelini, and Todd McFarlane, which I jumped on, and that was exciting because you were getting the entire, um, well, not the entire, but the majority of uh, the run by Todd McFarlane on Amazing Spider-Man, and that, you know, is, again, it's all about having a complete run by a certain creator. Eventually, I could consider maybe selling this on the bus. Well, well not really, because I, I love my on the bus. But, again, I'm thinking about Having do I need things in multiple formats? I and mean, if the epic collection comes out sooner than later in this area, am I gonna need you know that kind of stuff? That being said, it is gorgeous in hardcover, especially oversized. So I probably would keep it. 
uh, <laughs> and then there was uh, Evolutionary War was yet another crossover event which was in annuals originally and it's not very good but again it's nice to have the entire event in one spot one one omnibus which I did not get it's 1200 pages I, I decided not to and I remember at the that aforementioned BNB bookstore I found it for 40 bucks and I really should have bought it just virtue and price alone but they had the complete ecstatics by Peter Milligan and Michael Arred which I never ended up collecting and I read a few issues and I just I feel like maybe I should go back and read it and maybe I'll love it uh, but at the time I remember this isn't what I want to read from any comic at all this the sensibility of the artwork it just wasn't fitting for me as as a consumer when it was first happening so I just kind of said no I'm going to let that go uh, it comes brings us to uh, I guess kind of late two years ago in November 2011 they released the Fantastic Four by John Byrne Omnibus Volume 1 which I think I waited a complete year to get again it was Volume 1 so you knew the Volume 2 might come but you weren't sure if they were actually going to follow through and publish it uh, thankfully, Volume 2 actually comes out next month. Um, actually, as I record this, it's technically now the 2nd of, sorry, 1st of December. So it's actually coming out this month now. And uh, I'm actually really excited about having the complete John Byrne run. Uh, again, absolutely influential uh, creator on Fantastic Four. And, uh, you know, I already have half of his volume now because uh, I bought Volume 1, and I'm really excited with the second volume to complete that complete run. And then be able to just sit down with these two massive tomes and just read through the entire run by this creator, which is uh, a lot easier than picking up a lot of comics or a lot of even trade paperbacks. You'd have to have multiple thick hard uh, trades in order to get what's in one of these giant omnibuses. Um, another one that I've always thought about getting was X-Men Age of Apocalypse, which I own, again, in other formats. I have the original singles of almost the entire run. I then also have the four, uh, ep well, what they used to call epic collections, different from what the new epic collections are, uh, of the complete clone saga. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong thing on my bookshelf. Of the complete Age of Apocalypse. And I really thought about this for multiple reasons, mainly because I didn't like how, in the trade paperback, how the issues were collected in terms of uh, the order, whereas they were published more in the original kind of reading order in the giant hardcover. Plus, the hardcover didn't include a lot of the ancillary material, which I found to be really inconsequential in terms of being included in the trades. In fact, if you look at the complete Age of Apocalypse epic, look at the first volume, I don't think there's anything in there that was actually uh, published at the same time as the actual Age of Apocalypse. It's all starts in the second volume. Whereas in the omnibus, you get rid of a lot of this crap that was published later, but technically set before the period that we start the uh, Age of Apocalypse in. And that is one of the reasons why I kept kind of going back and forth on whether or not to pick it up. And maybe someday I will, if I find a good price on it. I mean, it is a good, a good volume. It's, you know, it's 1,072 pages. It's definitely healthy. Um, maybe someday I'll, I'll finally pull the trigger on that. And then, flash forward to 2012, I remember... Yeah, The Amazing Spider-Man was coming out in theaters, and I was super pumped about the Untold Tales of Spider-Man omnibus. Uh, this is an absolutely fantastic book. It was originally published for, what, I think it was like 99 cents each issues. Um, and it was by Kurt Busiek and, uh, and Pat Leaf, And it was published during the Clone Saga era, uh, but it was set in the first original years of Spider-Man's uh, tenure as a superhero. In fact, it was weaving in and out of the original 
issues of Amazing Spider-Man, and that's exactly the type of thing that Kurt Busiek would do in order to kind of sell a book, and is honestly one of the best Spider-Man books I've ever read. It's so much fun, it's got a great sensibility, brilliant artwork by Olief, um, the, the characters are very compelling, this is Peter at his earliest, um, it just seems very genuine, it definitely fits the character for where he would have been at that particular point in time. The artwork by Olief is great, he really accentuates uh, how kind of gangly and, and teenagerish. Uh, Peter Parker and Spider-Man are. Um, it is just an absolutely exquisite book. If you just love classic Spider-Man and are not a huge fan of what might be happening in the current book, um, you know you should really give this a shot because this is absolutely worth your money. It's so much fun. Uh, there's even a little bit of a, a cheat sheet at one point in the back of the omnibus telling you where to kind of read in terms of the original... Um, the original uh, chronology so you can kind of weave in and out of the original Amazing Spider-Man issues and the untold tales of Spider-Man issues. Uh, it is, as I said, absolutely worth being on your bookshelf. It is such a fun read. Um, it's a, just a, extremely classic looking and that's really what it is. It comes down to being classic. It is a classy collection as well. Um, and then, my secret, not my secret shame, but uh, definitely an omnibus which I kind of look at and go, why did I buy this? I love it, but at the same time I hate it, is Avengers The Crossing. This came out uh, last May, May 2012, and it is uh, collecting not the best Avengers storyline, probably one of the worst in terms of, uh, it kind of was what killed the Avengers before uh, Onslaught actually killed the Avengers, and then they were eventually, a year later, resurrected by Heroes Return, by the immortal, immortal uh, Kurt Busiek and George Perez. Um, the Crossing is a, a very subpar storyline. It's extremely 90s. Half the time, the writing doesn't really make sense. The artwork is, doesn't actually con conclusively tell you any part of the story. Uh, the idea is that Kang has manipulated uh, Iron Man throughout the years. Now he's a bit of a murderer, and it's up to the Avengers to stop him, and also align with a younger version of Tony to try and stop adult Tony from doing what he's going to do, uh, which is assisting Kang. It's a bit of a messy storyline, to say the least. Uh, it's still quite a great story to read, though. For sure. And, um, and just just to say that you've done it. <laughs> and so I remember getting that on the bus. Um, Amazing uh, Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 1 got published. And again, this goes back to the problem of not wanting to double dip, because I have... The Ultimate Collection, Volume 1, for Ultimate Spider-Man. And then I have the singles for the first, you know, what, 130-something issues. But then I don't have this on the bus. And this kind of tore me up, because I really wanted to have it. But at the same time, again, do you, how many different formats do you really need before you're just throwing your money at the publisher? Uh, then I picked up... Uh, I really thought about Punisher by Rick Remender, but I just couldn't... I didn't really like the Frankencastle stuff, so I just decided I had to kind of give it a pass because otherwise it was going to have a bunch of issues and cost me a certain amount of money extra for stuff I didn't need or didn't want uh, and didn't really need to read. And then, speaking of multiple dipping, last July had the Secret Warriors uh, on the bus get released, and I originally had pre-ordered this, but I, in the meantime, had picked up all the trade paperbacks, so I have the entire thing in trade and in singles and I was really considering should I be getting this as an omnibus and ultimately the decision was no and I think that was the right one because uh, really who needs that many 
versions of Secret Warriors in publication. Who needs a soft cover, a hard cover, and the original singles? Probably not me. Although, if anyone would have deserved it, it would have been uh, Jonathan Hickman's work. Uh, speaking of other omnibuses that I had picked up in the meantime, uh, it slowed down a little because I was trying to stop a little, but I have the Iron Man by Kurt Busiek and Sean Chen omnibus, which was the Hero's Return book, which is just absolutely brilliant. Uh, I have decided to pass in the Fantastic Four by Jonathan Hickman volume one, just because I am... I have the entire thing in shape paperback, so it seems a little bit of a waste to have to get a hardcover collection as well. Um, I passed on the West Coast Avengers, and I kind of regret it, but I'm hoping it'll all go into trade soon enough, and I'll get that instead. And recently, they've started doing reprints of older volumes of omnibuses, including uh, Uncanny X-Men Volume 1, uh, which is recently reprinted, as well as Daredevil by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen omnibus, which is just gorgeous work. Um, and, and definitely something I've always looked forward to having. Uh, in terms of looking forward to the future, I have a bunch of omnibuses ordered. I mean, I think I've got Fantastic Four by John Byrne Volume 2, as well as uh, Uncanny X-Men Volume 1, and uh, those are some great volumes. And speaking of DC, though, they have a volume for um, uh, the DC One Million storyline. So I'm excited to see DC trying to do more omnibuses and maybe getting more a bit more aggressive about it to kind of match Marvel and uh, this might be the first step in actually being able to do so so that's going to be our, our kind of discussion on omnibuses I apologize if you found this dry and uninteresting um, I wasn't really sure how I was going to do a discussion of omnibuses but it is as I said one of my favorite formats uh, that is currently being published by Marvel Comics it's exciting to be able to have a complete run or a complete special event or what have you in all in one spot. It makes it really easy to kind of read as opposed to having to go to multiple different sources. Instead, you can just put down a hardcover and have everything right at your fingertips. Um, I love the format. I hope it does continue. I'm excited to see DC expand more and more into the omnibus format, although I haven't actually picked up any through them yet, so I, I can't really be certain uh, of their quality, but I would imagine that they're relatively comparable to the Amazing Spider-Man stuff. Uh, sorry, or Marvel stuff. Uh, obviously, you could tell Amazing Spider-Man on the brain. Anyway, so that is the 122nd episode of Comic Shenanigans. Uh, you can like us on Facebook at com uh, Comic Shenanigans. You can also uh, email us at Comic Shenanigans at gmail.com. Uh, you can uh, make sure to you know send us a message on HC Realms, either a personal message or in the uh, thread that we put the episode up in. I'm always looking for more feedback on the shows or what you'd like to see in the next solo show. Instead of me prattling on about omnibuses for 45 minutes to an hour, uh, why not tell me what you want to listen to and I'll try and give you that. Um, and uh, yeah, and also please remember to rate and review us on iTunes, which is very much appreciated for those who have done it. Um, make sure you send me a link to your rate or review just so I can actually see it because for some reason I can't always see those that are actually put up uh, as I said before in our previous episodes EJ Reese put up a very nice comment and review uh, of the show and we never saw it until he actually sent me a link of it and I saw it and I could oh I guess he's not making that one up so anyways thank you for joining me actually a parting thought uh, for those who may or may not have picked up the Young Justice Legacy video game for PS3. 
Uh, it's really not good, is it? I mean, I, I was playing this game, and I was super excited to play a video game based on the on the TV show, because the late, the sadly uh, early canceled uh, television show Young Justice. And so seeing a video game of it was exciting, in theory, but the game at times plays like a PS2 game. It looks like a PS2 game at times. Uh, it's really sad that this is what we get for the fans who are kind of loyal of that show and of that uh, intellectual property, and then to get such a sad, sad uh, excuse for a game is really disappointing. Um, anyway, thank you for joining me for the episode, and we will catch you next time. Bye bye